Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome to the Ghibliotech, the podcast that examines the exhibition of films from the world's greatest animation studio, Studio Ghibli. I'm Michael Leader, and I've seen the lot of them. And I'm Jake Cunningham, and I've purchased my own extra special audio guide. So join us on our live quest into the glorious world of Ghibli. So, Jake, we're back again to introduce one of these live shows from the British Museum. Yeah, and what an exciting one it is. Uh, I think in this journey of podcasting, of film watching, one of the most unique experiences has been Pompoco. And the conversation we had around it was such a brilliant history lesson. So I was really excited when the British Museum chose to programme this film of all films that they could. Exactly. And they sold out the screening as well. Yeah. It was so great to sit there with 350 people watching Pompoco, many of whom were watching for the first time. Mm. And then what's great for us was the conversation afterwards. We had two people who were able to really give us some expert insight, not only as Japanese cultural uh, experts, but they both lived in Japan at the time. Mm. Yeah, and what, what a time. What <laughs> What a film to be able to watch in the cinema and kind of be bewildered by, but also fall in love with. And so we've got Simon Wright, who's the director of programming for Japan House. So he's been kind of intertwined between Japan and UK culture for three decades now. Mm -hmm. Uh, And along with that, we've got Matsubo Ryoko, who is one of the curators of the manga exhibition at the British Museum. And we should say once more thank you to Bryony Smith and Freddie Matthews from the Adult Learning Programme team who put on these screenings and were so open to us coming and talking about magical testicles in front of an audience there. Yeah, and uh, definitely the free sake beforehand helped out. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Yes, let's uh, check in on this conversation then. And I know most of you listeners uh, probably had enough of hearing from me, so you'll be pleased to know that there is a bit of mic trouble where my microphone does drop out. But really, you want to be hearing from Michael anyway, don't you? Hello, everyone. My name is Michael Leader. This is Jake Cunningham. We are the hosts of the Ghibliotech podcast, which is a podcast all about Studio Ghibli. Back when we started last summer... I had seen all of the Ghibli films. I'm a huge fan of their work. Jake had seen none of them. <laughs> so I've been dragging him through the catalogue, and we are about... How many films through are we now? About 16 deep now. So you're a bit of an expert yourself, or at yeah. least getting yeah. there. We've only got a few left now. A few stragglers. Yeah. 
we're immensely proud and honoured to be asked to host these Q&As after these screenings for the manga exhibition here at the British Museum, and in particular to speak with the guests we have. Um, please join me in welcoming Matsuba Ryoko, a co-curator of the exhibition manga here, and also uh, Simon Wright, Director of Programming at Japan House London. Um, thank you both for joining us tonight. Could I just get a hands up from everyone out there who had seen Pompoko before? And how many was for the first time tonight? Oh, good, a lot of you. <laughs> Uh, it's, Simon, quite, it's quite a first watch, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, when, I was, when we were prepping our series, uh, the film that most people would text me to say, when are you do, what are you going to do? When are you going to do it? It was always Pompoko. Everyone wants to know, when are you going to do Pompoko? Um, and so that's I mean, what we're you doing tonight. Yeah. <laughs> you saw this 25 years ago Ouch. Uh, in Japan. And so how, how, what was Thanks that for that. Like? <laughs> <laughs> what was it like watching it there and then, and now revisiting it? Okay, so I, I was living in, in Kagoshima at the time. So in 1994, when it first came out, I, I went to see it. A friend took me along to see it, and it was the, you know, it was the next Studio Ghibli film that was coming out, and I didn't know what to expect, necessarily. Um, it was fun to see it again. Obviously, I've seen it since then, 25 years ago. Thank you very much. <laughs> Cheeky. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I, I looked at it differently now. I was looking at it for all the, the puns that exist in it, the humor that comes out, all the cultural references, I suppose, that are hidden away in there. Mm. I mean, when I first saw it, what I remember was testicles. That <laughs> it was all about balls. Uh, that's, I mean, uh, I mean that's, that's what it's about, isn't it? <laughs> it's so, so often. And, and how that comes out in the... In the in the names, like the place where it comes from, it's set in Tama. And Tama, of course, is a real place, famous for its um, art school, yes. But Tama means balls. <laughs> and there's a, the character is Tama Saburo. <laughs> so, and, 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 the, and the temple as well, it's Manpukuji. Well, that's one, one way of, it's a famous temple as well in places like Kyoto and things like that. But Manpuku can also mean full bag, can't it, if you think about it. So there are all these little puns that are running around throughout, which I think are quite amusing. So I've, I've often seen, like, I often watched, like, Study of Ghibli when I was a child, and, like, I think it's 10 or 9 years old, I really enjoyed the Totoro. I think and then, I, when I was in school, uh, Totoro film, we watched Totoro film, and also uh, Graves for Firefly, which is uh, featured by the time of the war. Mm -hmm. And I like the Totoro, I like the Kiki's delivery, but the Grave of Firefly is, when I watched it, it's really shocked, <laughs> really sad. <laughs> and, and then Pompoko, when it released in 1994, when Simon was Japan, so I was like 15 years old, and I had a very strong emotional barrier to watch Takahata's film again. Because I remember the grape of firefly is really sad. <laughs> and that kind of thing is a bit... I love Ghibli's film, as everybody knows, but the only Pompoko, I couldn't see it. <laughs> and <laughs> because of this uh, screening, I watched Pompoko one week ago uh, <laughs> in London. <laughs> but the stage of Ghibli, the reputation of the stage of Ghibli in Japan is like um, our treasure. Mm -hmm. And everybody... Uh, have uh, some experience, everybody have some different memory, 
mm-hmm. as a Japanese national. And it's very interesting to see what's the difference between the uh, reaction of the, the film. Like, yeah. very, interesting, very interesting to hear the Simon's opinion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and then, yeah, it's really, uh, I really would, would like to hear about that here, there. Question. Exactly. Well, no, it's, it's so fascinating that your unique Studio Ghibli memory is being traumatized by Grave of the Fireflies. You know? <laughs> I don't think that's very unique. <laughs> well, no, I mean, a lot of people, maybe people in the audience says, no, I had similar experiences with that film. But so you finally watched Pompoko mm. la- last week for the screening. What did you find when you watched it? Did you respond to it? It's um, a very strong message, very clear message against the development. Or like, okay, like it's 1994, and the original title in Japanese is Heisei Tanuki Gassen Ponpoko. Heisei means a period, yeah. like Japanese. Imperial reign era, yes. And it's 1994, the Heisei start, started 1989. Mm. So it's like five years' time, then it's now. It, the Heisei, like 1994, is Heisei. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, all Tanuki is all raccoon. Mm. We need to talk about what is Tanuki. But <laughs> <laughs> tanuki is a Japanese word, like raccoon. It's, their setting is like Edo period. Mm. It's very old. And so it's like combi- combination between past and present, and also like animals and human beings, like relationship is animal and human being. It's many things, and this strong message is combined together. But one of the fascinating, one of the interesting things for me, because I'm working on 18th, 19th century popular print culture, mm. and the essence of Edo period print culture is many things. Is we, I can find many things in the film again, like Kunyoshi's uh, ghost prints yeah. in the films, and also um, procession ghosts, procession yeah. goblins. It's many of the signs already we can find in the 19th century. Yeah. And Takahata used a lot of many essence mm-hmm. in the film. That is very interesting. Yeah. And then well, if, if because of the big, big screen, I could see it very clearly. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's something that if anyone in the audience hasn't been to the manga exhibition yet, there are a couple of pieces from the 19th century, uh, Hokusai ghost prints, and there's an amazing theater curtain which has processions of these demonic figures that I... Takata must be playing on that tradition when creating those sequences in this film. Must be inspired by that. And I think it's, it's really rooted in so much tradition that it almost made it hard for it to translate beyond Japan. Looking at what was coming out from Ghibli just before this with Totoro and Porco Rosso and Kiki's Delivery Service, films that you liked, um, that were a relatively easy sell mm-hmm. around the world. How, would you try and, how do you try and sell Pompoko? It must be complicated. Even yeah. the title, even you say tanuki, which can sometimes be mistranslated as raccoons when they're not really raccoons, they're their own subs- you know, separate species, raccoon dogs. But then also these are magical, supernatural tanuki. But, uh, but even then, in the West, we don't have many representations of tanuki. The only one I remember growing up was in the Super Mario Brothers 3 video game. Some would say the best Super Mario game. I think Super Mario World's the best. But you would have a tanuki suit for Mario, where you'd have a raccoon tail and he'd fly. But that doesn't really mean anything in terms of the representation here. What role do tanuki play in Japanese culture and folklore? There are usually ceramic models of tanuki outside restaurants. That's another pun as well. I'm going back to testicles again. <laughs> There's, they, they, they usually hold a bottle of sake 
in, in this. And, and they, they transformed into themselves, so there was a self-referencing of themselves turning into themselves. And, and well, by holding a, um, um, a bottle of sake, and the, the idea is, in Japanese you say, mata ippai, have another drink. But another pun on mata ipai means um, your thighs are full. <laughs> and, 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 and there's always this playful, playful sense of humor behind what tanuki are. So for me, a tanuki was a ceramic figure standing outside a restaurant with big balls. That's, that's what I thought it was. Until I saw this, really. <laughs> well, I think this tanuki means in Japan, I think. They, because they film in in the film they say like uh, tanuki raccoon and fox kitsune and cat neko is only can transform something else. This is kind of that um, some spirit something we do believe something goes something goblin is living together especially in 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 Edo period. There's a lot of story featuring like yokai or like demon, but that's. That these animals is kind of something between from human being. This, this is animal, but it's close to us. We can living together. That the tanuki, especially for that, is kind of um, representation of animal and something between from between animal and human being. Um, I wonder whether it's uh, worth getting any questions from the audience out there as well. The lights are quite bright, but please do wave your hands in the air. Anyone out there? Someone yeah. right here, Bryony, on the fourth row back. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. First question. Why all of the testicles? <laughs> Simon? <laughs> why? why? Yes, why? <laughs> well, that, I think that's also a, that's maybe a point, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, why? Why, why, why go to such lengths? That's one of the things that you said that you mentioned, wasn't it? Why? Why? Go? There's, there's that. There's, 
When they're in the library, they're having a lesson, aren't they, about Edel period print culture, basically. Yeah. And one of the pictures is the is is by Hokusai, isn't it? It's one of his manga, I mean, of a of yeah. a of a tanuki and a huge scrotum, which is then made into a silhouette of a fish. Yes. Um, why? But I think maybe maybe because my, I, don't, I don't know. I go back to what I say. The on, my only real understanding of what tanuki was when I first went to Japan were these statues outside. Mm. Uh, outside outside restaurants as a as a way of and and that's the first thing you notice basically isn't it? But as Simon said, in, if you see something like nineteenth century illustrated books and the prints, there's a lot of oh, okay. tanuki's ball <laughs> in there. So I I don't know what imagination it comes from, but um, it's something we believe <laughs> it probably has happened. I mean, there's that children's song, isn't it? They were singing, they sung it yeah. several times. Yeah. Tanuki no kintama. On, 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 you know, yeah. Going through yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. That's, I mean, and you, you so hear it, don't you? It's not, it's not unusual to... So maybe, yes, there's maybe not so much of a taboo around. <laughs> well, a bit, one example of fantastic music throughout the film Exactly, well. yeah. Uh, Simon, you said when we were talking backstage you were a fan of the band. The, the, the Shang Shang Typhoon. Yeah. yeah. So Shang Shang Typhoon were, were a band at the, uh, around that time and I must have seen them probably the year before in 1993 uh -huh. in Kagoshima when they visited. But at that time there was this boom in, in Japan from the late 80s. I mean, it's the time of the bubble bursts, the whole economic bubble bursts and there's this idea of... Uh, Okinawan music was very popular. Mm. Shang Shang Typhoon are extremely uh, influenced by Okinawan music. But this, throughout, it's, 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 it's folk music, mm. minyo, children's songs, yeah. this revival of Okinawan music through Shang Shang Typhoon. It's all labeled as Japanese, isn't uh. it, throughout, uh -huh. which is interesting, except for the jazz scene I noticed in the snack bar. Right. And that's something with Takahata's films in general. He, bring, he has such broad tastes and brings them all into his films. He's so flexible with his animation styles, the people he works with, but then also in this one you have a flash of live action. You have a flash of 8-bit style animation of video games and so on. He doesn't play by the rules. He plays by his own rule book in these films. I think someone had their hand up on the end of the row there. Sorry, Brian, I need to make you run around. Hi. Um, you were just saying you wondered what people's reactions. Well, I was also quite traumatised because I thought, you know, if it's 25 years ago, I wonder if it's actually inspired any environmentalism as a result in Japan. And um, it just... The animation of the trees and flowers alone always makes me think there must be, like, a very deep love of nature in Japan. And I just wondered whether... Um, has actually had it. I mean, it's a beautiful piece of art, and you'd hope that it would have inspired some sort of environmentalism. And I just wondered if it had actually had any effect. I, I suppose I mentioned Kagoshima again. Uh, in 1994, in 1993, there were massive floods in Kagoshima, which swept away two of the Edo period stone bridges, which were over the Kotsukigawa River. In, in the center, it was, it was, you know, many people were made homeless, and then a typhoon came along and made even more people homeless. And it was blamed, the, the, the floods were blamed on the, uh, the development of the, of, of the landscape and the town, the city being created further upriver and, the, and the, the rivers being too deep and too narrow and therefore creating this huge wash down through the city. Um, incidentally, they've had big rains over the last couple of days as well. So in, indeed, people in Kagoshima are suffering again from, from, from big floods. So it was a conversation when this came out, for me, among people, that 
you know, that, that development and, and environmentalism was, was something that we should take care of. At a time when I think Japan was developing or had reached this pinnacle of, 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 uh, of bubble culture. Mm. So do you think that the um, like environmental message in this film is sort of muted by like the happy tone at the end? Because it, se it seems to end on quite like a, in a happy scene of them all dancing, and despite the really hard-hitting environmental message. Do you think that, that sort of like mutes the message? And if so, like why do you think that, that was decided? I actually, I find this like quite a, like a melancholic ending in that they've, he's just kind of having to find like a glimmer of hope within the result of all of this expansion of it and industrialism. It's weird, the, the film has this light tone throughout it that it's quite funny and comical and cartoonish. And we think of Miyazaki maybe as being, being able to be a bit more binary with his choices there, like Spirited Away, I think has, is, has a bit of more of a cleaner understanding of its environmentalism and tackling that theme. And Takata is a bit muddier with that. And to me, that's how I felt this message undercut the kind of joy that's throughout the film, that it ends up feeling a bit more in the gray area that it hasn't quite covered up to that point. It's a very interesting question, but I think always I'm seeing like uh, Mononoke, Princess Mononoke and Pompoko, but um, we don't have like, something like clear answer how we can uh, solve this problem, solve the environmental problem. And uh, I think that Takahata has a clear message to environmental, sorry, <laughs> my, my awful pronunciation, but like the against the development. But he also, we can share his question, what we should do. So he's, he shows us something like a reality, something clear message, but we need to think about but what we should act against that, but we can't we can't share any like one one result, and then it's something like vaguely he shows some like nostalgia views. The old tanuki is try to represent some like old great period, but we already developed. How we can start from from that? It's something like. Um, the reality from the reality, but we need to think about the answer. Is there anyone else out there with a question? Oh, yeah. Uh, I was just wondering, beyond the environmental message, um, I was wondering if, if, and this is just something that I saw, or if it's uh, something that was intentional, I, I felt it was also very uh, strong uh, message about culture, and uh, especially, I mean, the, the, the fact that the foxes uh, and then later some of the uh, raccoons going to live in the city and masquerading as humans um, is that sort of a reference to uh, different cultures who are assimilated into the, uh, who are forced to assimilate into the urban environment or into the Western style culture of modern Japan. Um, uh, rural rural communities who are forced to urbanize, so not so much an environmental message also, but also something that's connected to culture and to the survival slash um, destruction of different cultures than the Western style urban culture that is predominant now in, in Japan and elsewhere. I mean, yes, beyond the environmental message, I think so, definitely. But this idea of signifying what 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 you refer to as, as non-Western or non-contemporary for the time, 
is 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 rooted in an idea of what is Japanese, and that what is Japanese is, as as Ryoko has said, is is Edo period signifiers of what is Japan. Uh, so it's a it's a self referential idea of Japan by the Japanese for themselves. I, I don't know if it's to do with outsiders coming in, and I don't think it's necessarily much about that. I mean, at, at it, what I find I found just this evening is that at, at Japan House, our next exhibition after the manga will be um, the works of Ano Mitsumasa, who is an illustrator, a Japanese illustrator who was born in 1926, which is the first year of Showa, for example. And his works uh, are, are firstly all about looking outwards. He was part of the economic miracle of the 1960s. He first went abroad in 1962. It mirrors the idea of the 1964 Olympics in Tokyo and, and, and the way that these look out. And then he reverts back to Japan again in all his work. So he's gone almost full circle. And a lot of what Takahata was showing here about what is Japanese, Ano Mitsumasa shows in his pictures in the late, latter part of his life as what is Japanese. And he has this rural idea and this idea of nostalgia. I mean, I think what, what I did notice was about nostalgia is not the answer to everything. So beyond, beyond environmentalism, just wanting to have it back isn't necessarily good enough, as in that impermanent, that temporary move to see just for a, a fleeting time what it was like maybe post-war in the 1950s, that rural idyll. And crucially, it doesn't change anything. The, 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 the nostalgic final uh, conjuring of the Tanuki makes an impression, but it doesn't make a change. You can't stop that force of progress that it feels the whole, the rest of the community are happily going along with. And I find that so moving on a personal level because that shows that the Tanuki, what do they represent? They represent the metaphors that allow us to reconnect with sense of identity, sense of the past, our family, our tradition, and things that we may lose along the way. That's something that comes up time and again in more Miyazaki's writings about his work, as he wants to reconnect with what we may have lost. That's what My Neighbor Totoro is. That's what Kiki's Lyric Service is. He's getting back to something that the, the hubbub of daily modern life doesn't allow us to, something that Jake loves, uh, sit down on a green hill and enjoy the... And exactly... Jake just mentioned the moment in Only Yesterday where Isatakata throws in an almost documentary-like sequence where they go out to the fields and show how dye is made from safflowers. And that's something that he would come back to time again in all of his films. It's almost documentary-like eye for culture. And it's, animation isn't just a cute story to have a, you know, some fleeting emotion. He wants to teach and bring something in there. Like with the visit to the library, there's history within that as well. I mean, I'd, I'd almost throw it back as well. Some of the work we do at Japan House, for example, is looking at craftspeople, and sometimes we have craftspeople who may be the last one in their, in their particular field, in their particular area. They have no deshi, they have no apprentices. And so therefore, with, when they die, that, that skill will die with them. Mm. But what does that actually mean to us? It's an emotional reaction as, oh my goodness, isn't that awful, is what everybody thinks. But then, does that matter? Mm. If... if if, if, uh, if there's only one person making wagamisori, the Japanese uh, razors that were used in the Edo period to shave your head with, for example, but nobody uses them anymore, and they're fetishized in some way as being something from the past or something Japanese, but nobody uses them, what is the point of them being made? Yeah. Ryoko, do you respond to this nostalgic 
aspect in the film and how, what does that mean to you? I think it's trying to find the identity of mm. as a national. So then it's like um, 19th century things isn't um, really uh, represent the current Japan, the mm -hmm. Japanese now. But we, when we think about how we can curate something like Japanese uh, exhibition, something Japanese related to the exhibition, we think about the use, something like from 19th century. Is that really Japan? I'm really wondering because um, it's not really, we don't use something like Simon said, this laser, mm -hmm. we, when we often use in 19th century, but we no, never ever use this one now. But this is uh, something like Japanese identity. We think about it from like inherited from 19th century, even it's disappeared. Mm -hmm. So um, I still like I'm wondering uh, what mm -hmm. is Japan, how I can curate that identity through the exhibition. But uh, it's something like um, nostalgia is also part of the, our identity. Yeah, yeah. I think we're running out of time. It's quite late for Friday night. Any final comments or questions before we say goodnight? There is somebody there. Um, kind of playing off of what he asked and what you were talking about before, the ending felt to me more sort of like that they were like humans and that the being worked to an end and how people will fall off from society. Not necessarily just for nostalgia, but thinking of the work ethic and how hard work you have to be in the city. Could that also be something? That's why I felt that that was part of the message which would play into slightly into also the environmental thing with progress. But I think it was also how not just animals we need to take care of, but also our fellow human beings. Mm -hmm. Just a thought. You mean almost like the Charlie Chaplin modern times dehumanizing effect? Uh, yeah, the because he was saying the, the, the people who fall, like uh, some of us fall behind and just survive on scraps, but mm. that's not just the animals. Mm. It's also people who can't keep up with the, um, the uh, what's the, the salary man culture, yeah. yeah. You start off as a magical tanuki and you end up as a white collar worker by the end of it, yeah. If you can, if, if you can keep up. If you can, yeah, exactly. That, those, those particular scenes struck me that for me, because it was obviously set in Tokyo, that it was about an anonymity for me. Mm. That you, who are these people that you, you are with all the time? What, what on earth are their lives? It's, it's creating stories behind completely anonymous people. Is, is what struck me, basically, all those scenes of the station yeah. and the crowds, for example. There's so much to pick apart from this film, and it's one that really rewards multiple viewings, I find, more so than maybe some of Miyazaki's films that you may get once and enjoy. Takata's films are real thinkers. Just speaking of like giving it a close eye, did anyone spot anything on the shop of the 7-Eleven? The Soot Sprites, yeah. <laughs> The yeah, the logo of the Seven Eleven, or it's not called a Seven Eleven here. It's like a yeah, Family Eleven. Yeah, it's a couple of soot sprites from Totoro and Spirited Away. And also in the final procession, maybe on the big screen, would you see it? You can see like Porco Rosso's plane. You can see Kiki flying by and Totoro. There's lots. Of, this is the one that, even though it's such a serious film, essayistic in some ways, there's lots of cameos and references to other Ghibli movies. Maybe go by frame by frame, spend an entire day counting as many as you can. Thank you, Ryoko. Thank you, Simon, for joining us tonight. The manga exhibition is running until the end of August. If you've not been, we'd strongly recommend it. It's fantastic. Um, and we'll be back in August 
uh, with two more screenings of The Wind Rises and The Tale of Princess Kaguya with more special guests. If you want to listen to our podcast, we are Ghibliotech. Find that wherever you find your podcast. Give us a listen. Let us know what you think. But please join me once more saying thank you to our guests this evening. Thank you. Thank you. So that was our conversation with Simon and Ryoko. Uh, thanks once again to both our panellists and also to Bryony and Freddie and the whole British Museum team. Yeah, uh, we've got two more films in this British Museum live series of podcasts to go out. Next week is one on the tale of the Princess Kaguya, which I cannot wait to put out there because I really love that conversation. Yes, it's a brilliant one. But until then, follow us on Twitter. You can follow Jake at Jake H. Cunningham. And you can follow Michael at Michael J. Leader. Ghibliotech is a Little Dot Studios production. Our music is made by Anthony Ng, our artwork is by Sophie Moe, and Jamie Maisner is our audio wizard. The show is produced by Michael Leader, Jake Cunningham, Steph Watts, and Harold McShiel. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.